The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. This is another special edition here addressing the crisis now in the Novus Ordo Church regarding the letter of Archbishop Vigano, regarding Francis and his involvement in the abuse crisis. I uh, published uh, today at the Immaculate Conception Church a, a little monograph I had done, which I didn't include in the bulletin, but I alluded to last week's bulletin. I'd like to read that little monograph that I wrote now and comment on it. Last week's bulletin briefly mentioned the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report about hundreds of New Order clergymen abusing 1,000 children and teenagers over 60 years in just six dioceses. Last week's sermon told about the appearance of Archbishop Vigano's letter detailing the complicity of Vatican II church prelates and Francis himself in the 40-year predatory activities of Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, a close associate of Francis who influenced his choices of bishops and cardinals. All of this has filled the news, seized the attention and dominated discussions of people throughout the world during this past week, with many voices demanding that Francis resign as Supreme Pontiff of the New Order. During his in-flight press conference from Dublin to Rome last Sunday, a journalist asked Francis about the letter and its accusations. Francis answered, I read the statement this morning, and I must tell you sincerely that I must say this to you and all those who are interested. Read the statement carefully and make your own judgment. I will not say a single word about this. I believe the statement speaks for itself, and you have the journalistic capacity to draw your own conclusions. It is an act of trust. When some time passes and you have drawn your own conclusions, I may speak. But I would like your professional maturity to do the work for you. It will be good for you. Now, Swiss Bishop Marian Eleganti has called Francis's statement, quote, a classic non-denial denial. But Francis' statement actually appears to be rather a non-denial admission. When Francis continues, quote, I believe that statement speaks for itself. He's right about that. Archbishop Vigano's statement certainly does speak for itself, but Francis will not speak for himself. And does he then tell the press that he expects them to deal with the Archbishop, that he expects them to deal with Archbishop Vigano's letter? encouraging them to draw their own conclusions. He then says, quote, it's an act of trust. Well, whose trust? Francis's trust in them. His trust in them to do what? Francis's trust in them to deal with the problem. Is it purely accidental that the liberal so-called Catholic press immediately began to attack Archbishop Vigano's honesty, integrity, and credibility? The Archbishop was already then in hiding, out of reach of the Vatican, and beyond the wrath of the New Order's deviant syndicate. 
Has Francis called upon his allies in the liberal press to, quote, fix the problem for him? Did Francis set the press hounds on Vigano to tear him apart by character assassination? Whether or not Francis gave the order, that's exactly what they've done. And Francis concluded his non-answer with this peculiar statement. When some time passes and you have drawn your conclusions, I may speak. Now, I'm not the only one who raises this question of whether Francis was in fact signaling to his press agents in uh, the Catholic press, as it's called, or the secular press for that matter, that he was signaling to them that he expects them to take care of the problem, that he really has nothing that he can say, but it's up to them to say what's necessary, that is, to discredit the letter of Archbishop Vigano by discrediting him. Well, in First Things, dated August 31st, 2018, John Waters writes in Francis and the Journalists, when you read the Pope's response again in light of what has happened or not happened, in the several days since, it acquires an ominous tenor, inviting a stab at a new translation. Here is mine. So John Waters then gives his own translation of Francis's statement. And I quote, read the statement in the knowledge of the relationship you and I share. We are men and women of the world and like-minded on what is important. We know where we stand on matters like homosexuality and homosexual priests. But be careful how you handle this Vigano business. A wrong word could undo all we have achieved. I have faith in you to figure out who this man is. Do your work well, and there will be no need for me to risk my position. Once you have defused the situation, I will deal with Vigano for the record. We are all adults here. I know I can count on you. I need your help on this, but we have an understanding that has worked well so far. Trust me. These words do not represent an actual translation of what Francis says, but John Waters says his words can be understood in this way. And I thought it was interesting that he pointed this out because I have not seen this interpretation anywhere else, really. Uh, perhaps one other site that, was, that I was directed to hinted at this idea. But the idea that Francis was actually unloosing the hounds of the press to go after Vigano to discredit him, and only then would Francis have anything to say after they had done their, their dirty work, as it were, uh, is not beyond the pale, and I'm not the only one who's interpreting and understanding Francis this way. Sad to say. In any case, whether that is exactly what Francis meant or not, it is exactly what has happened. In fact, uh, Il Giornale of Italy uh, actually went so far as to contact uh, uh, Vigano's sister and brother, one brother and one sister, to get a, a statement from the sister that her brother, Archbishop Vigano, had somehow defrauded her in some real estate deal. And so they will stoop to that even, to contact his member of his family to get complaints of family members against him. 
Not that it reflects really on what he says, but they wanted to reflect on him and use that to discredit him so as to draw the attention away from the letter and make it not a question of what Vigano can testify about what Francis has done, but rather to make this all about Vigano himself. That is what they want to be done. So it's no longer about Francis, now it's all going to be about Vigano himself. This is what the liberals, what the leftists, what the modernists do. Now, Francis has both refused to answer the, the accusations and he refuses to resign. His Secretary of State, Pietro Cardinal Parolin, says that Francis is not worried about this matter and the Francis-appointed Archbishop of Chicago, Cardinal Supic, stated that Francis has more important things to concern him such as immigration and climate change. Although Supic was widely criticized for calling immigration and climate change a higher priority than his Pope's involvement in the abuse of young people by New Order predatory priests and cardinals, nonetheless, Supic appears to know well the mind of Francis, who just yesterday made a statement calling the accumulation of plastic in the world's oceans an emergency. But Francis does not consider the accusations in Vigano's letter an emergency. Do Francis and his prelates not consider this affair an emergency? Does the accusation that Francis himself aided and abetted the abuse of children not pose a crisis for him or for his prelates? A confidant, a confidant of Francis, Jesuit Father Anthony Spadaro says that Francis is energized by this controversy because it is bothering the right people, that is the conservatives. Although some of those cardinals and bishops who could be charged with the crime of covering up the abuse are certainly worried about their own legal fortunes, they do not appear to be concerned so much for the good of the church. Francis' Secretary of State, again, Cardinal Pietro Parolin, assures us that Francis himself is not at all worried about the Fuhrer sparked by Archbishop Vigano's accusations. If this is true, we might draw the following conclusions and have the following expectations. Despite the uproar, the modernists are confident that they have enough control to ride out this storm because, one, their leftist agents and liberal allies in politics and in the media remain powerful enough to protect and support them. The modernists are also confident they have enough control to ride out the storm because, secondly, their opponents will tire of the effort and eventually settle for a token solution which shuffles the offending bishops or replaces them with other modernists. This is what happened when this whole thing first came to light about 12, 15 years ago. It's exactly what they did. And, of course, everyone calmed down and went back to business as usual, including the modernists and the homosexuals. A third reason why the modernists have confidence that this will blow over like a storm at sea is that even now, very few people acknowledge that the root of the problem is modernism and that all the other evils follow from what the modernists have done and continue to do. 
In fact, for the longest time, people were saying that it's a problem of pedophilia, but now they've come to realize this is a problem of homosexuality. This is a problem with homosexuals uh, who've made the church a kind of playground for themselves. But they're still missing the point. Even there, they're missing the point that the problem is not really essentially a problem of, uh, of pedophilia or pederasty or homosexuality. It is a problem of modernism. It is modernism that has allowed these evils to enter the church. It is the modernist morality that has come in with Vatican II that has led this, the church in this direction. And before I close, I'm going to give you some evidence for that. For those who will not acknowledge that fact, who insist that the changes that have been made by the modernists in what they call the new order are not responsible for this happening. They need to face the truth. They need to face reality. I mean, even Archbishop Viganon, his, practically his entire clerical life was in the Novus Ordo Church. He was raised uh, in the traditional church before Vatican II. But nonetheless, as a clergyman, his life has really been, been conducted within the context of the Novus Ordo. As a clergyman, that's what he knows. He knows the Novus Ordo. I don't know that he himself would look beyond the question of Francis knowing the, the, the truth about Cardinal McCarrick and yet empowering him to continue to pray upon the young of the church. I don't know if, if, Cardinal, if uh, Carlo Maria Vigano himself would acknowledge that it is modernism and it is the new order that is at the root, the problem of all of this. I just don't know. So we need to get past that issue and we need to understand clearly that modernism is the problem. As long as the modernists now in the Vatican uh, can see that people are blaming other things, even homosexuality, as the root of this problem. We're not really addressing the problem at its foundation. And that is the modernists and what they've done to the church in Vatican II and afterwards. The modernists can take comfort from that and therefore expect again that the point being missed, the storm will blow over and they will be back in power again and free to do as they please. And there will be other crises that will come. Now, the fourth reason why the modernists might be confident that nothing will come of this eventually, and they can wait this out, is the fact that they really can't lose. In their own minds, they really can't lose. Why? Well, because they're actually glad that some people will rally to defend them and their new order, <laughs> and that they don't really care about those who will lose the faith and fall away. They don't really care about those people who fall away. Why? Well, because one of their central tenets is ecumenism. And ecumenism basically says <clears throat> salvation can come in different forms through different religions. One does not have to be a Catholic in order to be saved. After all, Francis said that atheists can be saved by their goodwill. And so when people fall away from the church, even the, 
the nice modernists can say, oh, well, they're not losing salvation for falling away from the church because they can go find salvation somewhere else. So they wouldn't be concerned about people leaving the Catholic Church and perhaps going off and joining another. Ecumenism says, that's fine. Let them go choose something that suits them better. Why would they, why would they care about that? But not only that, but the, the modernists want the conservatives out anyway. So if the conservatives are going to fall out of the church, this is exactly what they want. Francis would like nothing better than these conservatives to simply give up and walk away and leave him alone and rid his church of this, this trouble that conservatives bring because they're so focused on doctrine and morals. And uh, so the fallout from this crisis Again, the modernists would see as a positive if it gets the conservatives to, to give up and go away. Also, the modernists really want to undermine the church as the one true church of Christ. They want to undermine that idea. You know, the modernists have even made concessions to those who want the 1962 Latin Mass. They've made concessions to them and let them have their extraordinary form. But what they all have to give up is the idea that there is one true God who has one true Son, who has taught one true faith, and uh, established one true church through whom and through which alone there is salvation. The modernists want us to lose that idea entirely. They let us have the Latin Mass as long as we give up the idea of there being one true faith outside of which there is no salvation. And so, the modernists want to undermine this idea, and what could better serve their purpose of one true church, holy, catholic, and apostolic, than what is being done now under their auspices? <clears throat> um, even, those, even those who will stay with them, as uncomfortable as they may be, will still have this idea. And this is something, by the way, that I think really needs to be uh, emphasized. You see, the the word on the street out there, the word in the press, the word echoing throughout the world right now is that the Catholic Church has done this terrible thing. The, the liberals in the media, the leftists, all of them are chortling this, the Catholic Church has done this. You know what's curious? The conservative Novus Ordo people are saying the same thing. They're in agreement with all the voices of the left. Those who are going to the Novus Ordo, even those who are, let's say, in the Indult Mass, or the, Summa, the Summorum Pontificum Mass in the Novus Ordo, those who go to a Novus Ordo diocese to practice the traditional faith within the Novus Ordo and under their auspices, are all agreeing with the leftists. Yes, this is the Catholic Church. The people who have done this are the legitimate representatives of the Catholic Church, and therefore, it is the Catholic Church that has done these terrible crimes. They're playing right into the hands of the modernists, right into their hands. Only the traditional Catholics have the sense to say, look, we know this cannot be the Church. This cannot be the Church any more than it can be Christ himself. This cannot be the Catholic Church that has done these terrible things. It is the enemy of the Church who's invaded and taken control and are, is now occupying these positions of power, but they are using these positions of power to attack the church from within. 
and to degrade her and tear down the very idea of the church in the eyes of the people and to offend God dreadfully. This is, they, these are the enemies of the church who have done these things. This is not the Catholic Church. We have to insist on that. It is a tragedy, of course, that people are, be, are willing to believe now this mantra that is being passed off as truth, as common wisdom that this is the Catholic Church. But these are the modernists who have done this. They have done this not, not in the name of the church. Well, they have done it in the name of the church. That's, that's the problem. But what is true is that they can't really do it in the name of the church, honestly. They're doing it in the church and they're doing it, they're doing it to the church. They're inflicting these crimes upon the church. But the real crime, the real crime that started all of this was the crime that went on when they changed the faith, when they changed the religion, when what came out of Vatican II was a, a blank check to the modernists to craft a modernist religion to go with their modernist faith that they imposed in Vatican II. Again, there are people who will say, oh, that's not true, that's an exaggeration, but wait, before I'm done, I want to refer to something that actually happened immediately after Vatican II that I think shows very clearly what we're dealing with here. So, again, you know, the modernists feel that they're going to be able to ride out this storm. And so we see that their tactics, now their reactions have changed. <coughs> and I don't mean to be um, pedantic about it, but I would say that their tactics uh, in a matter of a week's time have gone from uh, thrashing mode and trashing mode to, uh, well, actually lashing mode. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Uh, a, uh, the founder of a, a prominent business software company here in the United States, a company that is now actually throughout the world, explained to me what thrashing mode meant in computer jargon. And it has to do with the computer is overwhelmed. Um, when it's overwhelmed with data <coughs> and overwhelmed with tasks, and it is going from one to the other and cannot complete anything. <coughs> cannot really effectively do any job. Well, I think that was the initial reaction of the modernists at the word of, well, actually at the, uh, all the way back <clears throat> at the beginning of August when the uh, grand jury in Pennsylvania published its report. I think initially the modernists went into thrashing mode, trying to figure out what do we do, what do we do to save face what do we do to cover up the cover-up now? But when they, when they got beyond that and pulled themselves together, I think that the next mo mode they went into was trashing mode. And I think that was Francis' signal, not only to the press, but I think it was a signal to also his uh, abusing uh, modernist uh, bishops and cardinals and priests. Now we have to go after Vigano and we have to trash his name. <clears throat> we have to undermine him. That's our defense. The best defense is a good offense. But now I think they've gone to what I call lashing mode. And by that, I don't just mean lashing out against Vigano. I mean in the sense uh, of, a, of a ship at sea where the crew wants to lash itself to the mast to ride out the storm. 
I think they're now in that mode of lashing themselves to the mast and riding out the storm no matter what. Um, so, um, I think we, we see in the modernist agenda that they have this confidence because all of their fellow leftists and liberals, liberals are those, as you saw from an earlier video, uh, talking about Dr. Felix Salva Isadani's work, Liberalism is a Sin, wants to detach human life, especially public life, from any obligation to follow God's law. That the liberals, whatever they call themselves, whether they call themselves leftists or progressives or modernists, they're all liberals in the sense that Dr. Sarda E. Salvani describes them, as those who want to basically exalt the dignity of man above any obligation that human beings have to their Creator and to their Redeemer. That the dignity of man enable, basically enables man to be totally independent of God, to function independently of God and despite God, in spite of God, literally, in spite of God. This is what liberalism does. That the modernists look to all their fellow liberals and they say, we're all in this together, we're all going to watch each other's back. We are all about promoting now this liberalism, which gives, us, gives rise to the modernist morality of turning loose the homosexuals in the church, and as I say, turning it into a gigantic homosexual playground. And so I think they have this confidence that as long as we can still pass this off as a homosexual problem, at the same time we're legitimizing homosexuality we are going to basically thwart any effort to dethrone us in the Vatican or anywhere else. Now, uh, I could, again, get into the whole question of the left and the right and so on, but I don't want to get into that right now because I want to close by referring to something that happened just after Vatican II came to an end. As you know, Vatican II was closed in December of 1965. And Within the year, the renewal was already well underway. And part of that renewal involved psychological, psychological renewal within the religious congregations of the church here in this country. I'm referring now to a document that is contained in the EWTN library. Okay? EWTN has this document. It actually uh, concerns a very, very well-known case which, unfortunately, many of you might have missed. It's the case of Dr. Coulson. Dr. Coulson, C-O-U-L-S-O-N, William Coulson, a disciple of the American psychologist Carl Rogers. As a matter of fact, allow me to read the introduction here within this this uh, statement, uh, this, this uh, statement contained within the EWTN library uh, as an, a, an interview with Dr. Coulson. It's entitled, We Overcame Their Traditions, We Overcame Their Faith. And uh, the interview begins with this introduction, a contrite Catholic psychologist's disturbing testimony about his central role in the destruction of religious orders. 
Dr. William Coulson was a disciple of the influential American psychologist Carl Rogers, <clears throat> and for many years a co-practitioner of the latter's non-directive therapy. In 1964, he became chief of staff at Rogers Western Behavioral Sciences Institute in La Jolla, California, where he says, as the resident Catholic, it became his task to gather a cadre of felicitators to invade the Immaculate Heart of Mary community of nuns, and later some two dozen other orders, among them the Sisters of Mercy, the Sisters of Providence, <clears throat> and the Jesuits. <clears throat> it was only in 1971 that he began to back away from religious orders, back away rather from his belief in psychotherapy, when its destructive effects on the religious orders and on the church and society in general became apparent to him. Having abandoned his once lucrative practice, Dr. Coulson now devotes his life to lecturing to Catholic and Protestant groups on the dangers of psychotherapy. <clears throat> it, it continues in the next paragraph, In the following interview with Dr. William Mara, God rest his soul, Dr. Coulson discusses his role in the destruction of Catholic religious orders and his subsequent change of mind. Now, for those of you who want to get on the WTM website, website and find in their library this document, you'll find it very much worth reading, very, very instructive and revealing. <clears throat> I'm just going to try to paraphrase it and perhaps uh, quote some of the uh, areas where uh, quotations are in order to show you what's really happened. Uh, Dr. Coulson um, says that he went to Notre Dame. He got his, he was working on his doctorate in philosophy at Notre Dame. His dissertation was on Carl Rogers' theory of human nature. He says that that theory of human nature believed that every man is totally good. At this point, Dr. Maris stopped him and st said, stop right there. Were you a Catholic at the time? And Coulson answers, yes. And Dr. Maris said, and Notre Dame was still Catholic, was Catholic. Interesting question. And Notre Dame was Catholic at the time. And uh, Dr. Coulson answers, Notre Dame was Catholic, was Catholic, he says. I got a good education into mystic philosophy. And Dr. Mara asks him, well, didn't it occur to you that as a faithful Catholic, you couldn't buy the idea that men are basically good? Didn't original sin mean anything to you? And Coulson responds that it wasn't my task then to be a critic of Rogers' theory. I wanted to find out what he taught. And having read everything that I could get my hands on, I contacted him at the University of Wisconsin. <clears throat> so, again, a sad answer, but he's being very frank. Yes, Dr. Uh, Rogers' uh, theory and his philosophy was against, his psychology was against Catholic teaching, but he, as a, a in the doctoral program at U the University of Notre Dame, was going to write his dissertation on this, this whole idea in a sense, glorifying what he knew was contrary to the faith. I guess he didn't appreciate it at the time, as he explains a bit later. In any case, uh, Dr. Um, 
Coulson did, as this doctoral candidate, contact Rogers at the University of Wisconsin and was invited to go there and work with Dr. Coulson. And uh, Dr., uh, Dr. Rogers, rather. Rogers was working with neurotics. He was working with neuroses through his method of non-directive therapy. And uh, in the course of the inter interview, Coulson says, so Rogers had the idea that to help these neurotics, we should refer them to the source of authority within them. In other words, refer them to their consciences. Now here you, you see where this is leading here. Their consciences is the ultimate authority. This is the Novus Ordo. This is modernism. Anyway, Rogers says the, the way to treat these neuroses, he was using non-directive therapy, was not to direct them to any higher law than themselves, but get them to pay attention only to their consciences as the ultimate authority. And uh, the interview continued. I'm skipping over quite a bit here in the interest of time. Coulson later on in the interview said, it works, you know. One tumbles pretty easily into this. We corrupted a whole raft of religious orders on the West Coast in the 1960s by getting the nuns and the priests to talk about their distress. In other words, getting them to look inward, to be totally focused inward on themselves. Not only as to what the problem is, but the solution too. That will appear as I read further. Coulson says, I joined Rogers in his study of non-directive psychotherapy with normal people. So they were going to try this therapy now for normal people. He explains that this is what Vatican II seemed to call for, renewal of the religious orders. They thought that they would try this, this whole psychotherapy thing, by going to the religious orders and helping them renew. He says, we had the idea that if it was good for neurotics, it would be good for normals. <clears throat> well, the normal people of Wisconsin proved how normal they were by opting out. As soon as they knew what it was, we wanted. Nobody wanted any part of it. So we went to California. I guess they figured they wouldn't find normals out there, but they said they would find them in the religious congregations of the church. And so Coulson says, I knew you were going to say this, that was my first mistake looking for normal people in California, he says. No offense, I know a lot of normal, very good people in California. But we found the Sisters of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, the IHMs. They agreed to let us come into their schools and work with their normal faculty and with their normal students and influenced the developments of normal Catholic family life. It was a disaster, Coulson says. And uh, so then Mara asks him, well, wh when are we talking about? We're talking about 1966 and 1967. Remember, I mentioned Vatican II ended in December of 1965. So already, already they were pursuing this in 1966 and 1967, in the immediate aftermath of Vatican II. And then, uh, if you have little children listening, don't let them listen to this. This is one reason why it's so hard to deal with this topic in anything that is a family program because it is so sordid. Coulson begins then to talk about what they were doing in 1966 to 1967 and its consequences. With the nuns, he says, there's a tragic book called 
lesbian nuns, breaking silence, which documents part of our effect on the Immaculate Heart of Mary sisters and other orders that engaged in similar experiments in what we called sensitivity or encounter. In a chapter of Lesbian Nuns, one former Immaculate Heart nun describes the summer of 1966 when we did the pilot study in her order. We, Mara asks, being you and Rogers. He says, yes, Rogers and I, and eventually 58 other psychologists who began working with them on these nuns. We had 60 facilitators, he says. We inundated that system with humanistic psychology. We called it Therapy for Normals, TFN. The Immaculate Heart of Mary Sisters had some 60 schools when we started. At the end, they had one. There were some 615 nuns when we began. Within a year, after our first interventions, 300 of them were petitioning Rome to get out of their vows. They did not want to be under anyone's authority except the authority of their imperial inner selves. At this point, actually, it, it appears that they had a copy of this book, Lesbian Nuns, at hand because Dr. Mara asks, who is that on the cover of the book? Well, as a matter of fact, someone provided for me years ago a copy of this book. I don't recommend it. It is sordid. It is gravely immoral. But it is an eye-opener to show what they did to these sisters in the name of renewal of Vatican II. Coulson answers that on the cover of that book, Lesbian Nuns Breaking Silence, is Sister Mary Benjamin, IHM. He says, Sister Mary Benjamin got involved with us in the summer of 1966 and became the victim of a lesbian seduction. An older nun in the group, feeling herself to be more expressive of who she really was internally, decided that she wanted to make love with Sister Mary Benjamin. Well, Sister Mary Benjamin engaged in this, and then she was stricken with guilt and wondered, to quote from her book, was I doing something wrong? Was I doing something terrible? I talked to a priest. Unfortunately, Coulson says, we had talked to him first. I talked to a priest, she said, who refused to pass judgment on my actions. He said it was up to me to decide if they were right or wrong. He opened a door, and I walked through the door, realizing I was on my own. Isn't that interesting? He refused to pass judgment on my actions, essentially saying, 50 years ago, who am I to judge? What became of Sister Mary Benjamin? He said, this is her liberation. Now her parents had not delivered her to the Immaculate Heart of Mary Sisters in order for her to be on her own. She was precious to them. She describes the day in 1962 when they drove her in the station wagon to Montecito to the Immaculate Heart of Mary novitiate, 
how excited they were to be delivering someone into God's hands. Well, instead, they delivered her into the hands of non-directive psychology. And this is what has become of Sister Mary Benjamin. She embraced the life of lesbianism, homosexuality. It is who she has become. And she then oversaw the publication of this book, Lesbian Nuns, Breaking Silence. You see, this happened, we're talking about the 1966, 1967 aftermath of Vatican II. We're talking about the years immediately after Vatican II. What was done in the name of renewal? And that is what uh, Coulson says in the course of his interview. He says uh, that he and Rogers had access, not only because he was Catholic, but because he said Rogers himself had a, had a great reputation. He said he was a former president of the American Psychology, Psychological Association. He won his first Distinguished Scientific Contribution Award. Uh, the WBSI was also the home of Abraham Maslow, the other great figure in humanistic psychology. And he says this is what entered by means of, of their influence into these religious communities, humanistic psychology in the name of renewal after Vatican II. Coulson, Coulson addresses that question, what does it mean to you? What the priest said to Sister Mary Benjamin, what does it mean to you? Or what does it mean to me? Or to God? The priest got confused, he said, about his role as a confessor. He thought it was personal, and he consulted himself and said, I can't pass judgment on you. But that's not what confession is, Coulson says. It is not about the priest as a person taking a decision for the client. Rather, it's what God says. In fact, God has already judged in this matter. God has judged. You are quite right to feel guilty about it. Go thou and sin no more. Instead, he said to Sister Mary Benjamin that she should decide for herself. And that's exactly what she did. And so Coulson continues, as I said, the Immaculate Heart of Marys were pretty progressive, but some of the leadership was a little bit nervous about the secular psychologist from La Jolla coming in. And so I met with the whole community. Some 600 nuns gathered in the Immaculate Heart High School Gymnasium in Hollywood on April, on an, an April day in 1967. We've already done the pilot study. We told them, now we want to get everybody in the system involved in non-directive self-exploration. We call it encounter groups. But if that name doesn't please you, we'll call it something else. We'll call it the person group. So they went along with us, and they trusted us, and they basically put the entire congregation of 600 nuns in the hands of these psychologists, to be instructed by them, to be formed by them, to be reformed by them, and really to be deformed by them. He says, this was all anti-Catholic, but I didn't realize it at the time. 
I didn't recognize it because I probably was myself, he says. We both had a bias against hierarchy. I was flush with Vatican II, he says. I was flush with Vatican II, and I thought, I am the church. I am as Catholic as the Pope. Didn't Pope John XXIII want us to open the windows and let in the fresh air? Here we come. And we did. And within a year, those nuns wanted out of their vows. Curious that he re reflects on that, that motivation, that he was full of Vatican II, that John XXIII wanted to let in the fresh air. Where was he going to let that fresh air in? Was he going to let it in from the world? He said the air in the church had become stale. So he's going to open the windows and let in the fresh air. He was going to let the fresh air in from the socialists, his buddies in France, from the leftists, his buddies who he socialized with in France as Apostolic Nuncio. He was going to let the fresh in from the air come in from the world. And it's strange that he used that expression. That John the Twenty-Third proposed letting the fresh air come into the church, and John, and rather Paul the Sixth, having changed the mass and all the sacraments and brought in the Novus Ordo, says the smoke of Satan now has filled the sanctuary of God. Is there a connection between these two? You bet there is. You bet there is. That smoke of Satan is the Novus Ordo. That's a new order. That's the fresh air that John the Twenty-Third led into the church, and you smell it. You can smell it now in the abuse of children, but you'll be smelling it here in a minute when they tell you when they tell you what they did to these good sisters and these young people who gathered there to pursue their vocations in the service of God and what became of them. He says Rogers and I did a tape for Bell and Howell summarizing that project, and I talked about some of the short-term effects and said that when people do what they deeply want to do, it isn't immoral. Well, we hadn't waited long enough. The lesbian nuns book, for example, hadn't come out yet, and we hadn't gotten the reports of seductions in psychotherapy. We think about the seductions going on now. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't have to wait for Francis. It's going on already within months of Vatican II. As soon as they turn loose this renewal of psychotherapy on the, on the religious sisters of California, the seductions begin right away. It's modernism. It was modernism from the beginning. He says we hadn't gotten the reports yet of the seductions in psychotherapy, which became virtually routine in California. I'm not talking about 2018. I'm not talking about 2017, 2016. I'm talking about 1966 and 1967. They knew where this was going. They knew very well where it was going. We had trained people who didn't have Roger's innate discipline for his own fundamentalist Protestant background. People thought that being themselves, that's the message of non-directive therapy, that being themselves meant unleashing libido. This is what they understood it to mean, letting go all their passions. And so Colson continues later, Actually, he's responding to a question here that Mara asked him. But once you had those 600 nuns broken down into their encounter groups, how long did it take for the damage to set in? Coulson responds, well, in the summer of 67, the Immaculate Heart of Marys were having their chapter. They'd been called, as all religious orders were, to reevaluate their mode of living. 
and to bring it more in line with the charisms of their founder. So they were ready for us. They were ready for an intensive look at themselves with the help of humanistic psychologists. We overcame their traditions. We overcame their faith. Bud Kaiser, Father Elwood Kaiser, a Paulist priest, producer of Insight, I think you may know him. He wrote a book last year called Hollywood Priests. He's got a chapter in there about his romantic involvement with one of our nuns. One of our sisters of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, Father Kaiser explains that as Genevieve, as he calls her, God in the spirit of Rogerian non-directive encounter, she propositioned him sexually. He refused her because he didn't see how he could have something going on with her and still be a good priest. But she got sexually involved with her Rogerian therapist. We were referring nuns who opened up too much in our encounter groups to therapists who are on the periphery, and this is what happened to them. They became intimately involved with them. And uh, Mara asks, marvelous indeed, how many years did it take to destroy this Immaculate Heart of Mary order? Colson said it took about a year and a half. A year and a half. Vatican II itself was spread over three years. And one and a half years of applying these ideas of conscience above all, look to your inner self for your ultimate guide, destroyed an entire religious congregation. Inconceivable. Mara asks, of the 615, how many are left? Coulson answers, there are the retired nuns who are living in the mother house in Hollywood. There is a small group of radical feminists who run a center for feminist theology in a storefront in Hollywood. He says, the order as a whole, the Immaculate Heart of Mary, which conducted all those schools, there are a few of them in Wichita, whom I visited recently, Coulson says, who are going to make a go of it as a traditional teaching, as traditional teaching nuns. There are a few doing the same thing in Beverly Hills, and there may be a couple or a dozen left altogether apart from whom, and he says, kaput, they're gone. Amazing, huh? The destruction, the devastation. Amazing. Now what does St. Pius X told one of his cardinals back in the in 1910 or so, that the modernists would return and lay waste the church 50 years later, because that's exactly what they did. What did they do? Coulson says, our grant had been for three years, <clears throat> but we called off the study after two because we were alarmed about the results. It took them one and a half years only to destroy that congregation. We thought we could make the Immaculate Heart of Mary sisters better than they were, and we destroyed them. And Coulson says, we did similar programs for the Jesuits, for the Franciscans, for the Sisters of Providence, of Charity, and the Mercy Sisters. We did dozens of Catholic religious organizations because, as you recall, in the excitement following Vatican II, Everybody wanted to update. Everybody wanted to renew. 
And we offered a way for people to renew without having to bother to study. We said, we'll help you look within. After all, is not God in your heart? Is not sufficient? Is it not sufficient to be yourself? And wouldn't that make you a good Catholic? The same old slogans, the same old buzzwords that have been circulating ever since with the modernists, with the liberals, within their modernist religion of Vatican II, same old wisdom, which is the foolishness of men in the, in the Church of God. Is it not sufficient to be yourself? And wouldn't that be, make you a good Catholic all by itself? And if it doesn't, then perhaps you shouldn't have been a Catholic in the first place. Well, after a while, there weren't many Catholics left, he says. This interview with Dr. Coulson is very, very, very important to read it in the context of today now, to read it in the context of what was written by Archbishop Vigano, written in the context of Francis and his refusal to answer, even in, in terms of his statement, who am I to judge? I'm going to close very soon. I'm sorry for going on at some length here, but I think it is instructive to us to understand what's happening before our very eyes here and why I say the problem is modernism. Ultimately, that is what has unleashed this in the church. Coulson says, my phoniness, he refers to his phoniness. But what is phoniness? Well, his phoniness is, among other things, his Catholic doctrine. This is what we make people think is phony, the Catholic doctrine that he's learned. That when we get a person to turn inside himself and review, then what looks as though it's something imported, not something of himself, something that has been imposed from outside him, something that is phony is his Catholic faith, he says. If you look within yourself and you find the creed, for example, you can imagine someone saying, Oh, you're just being a mama's boy, aren't you? You're just doing what you were taught to do. I want to hear from the real you. The proof of authenticity on the humanistic philosophy model is to go against what you were trained to do, what you were trained to be, to call all of that phoniness and to say what is deepest within you What's deepest within you, however, are certain unrequited longings, including sexual longings. We provoked an epidemic of sexual misconduct among clergy and therapists. We're talking about the immediate aftermath of Vatican II. It's been going on all that time. No surprise. Francis says, the spirit of surprises is his God. But this should come as no surprise. They knew exactly what they were doing all the time. From that moment that Coulson and Rogers descended upon the religious, the Catholic religious congregations of, of uh, California, they knew exactly what to expect with their modern, modernism, and that's exactly what they got all the way through. Remember, the report of the grand jury in Pennsylvania covered 70 years, abuse cases going back 70 years in the run-up during and after Vatican II. <clears throat> and Coulson continues, 
Well, actually, we started with the Jesuits. He said we actually started with the Jesuits. <clears throat> we did our first Jesuit workshop in 1965, he says, even before Vatican II had ended. In 1965, John uh, Rogers got two honorary doctorates from the Jesuit universities. They thought we were saviors. And he says that what they did was revamp the Jesuit training, the training process. He says, we, we really messed up the training process for the Jesuits. They saw that happen before their eyes. He says, there's actually a book on the subject, a book written by a Jesuit. And um, the title of the book is The Reformed Jesuits. It reviews the collapse of the Jesuit training program between 1965 and 1975. The Jesuit formation virtually fell apart, he says, during that time. He says, it was Rogerian. It was there follow your conscience, search inside, do your own thing mentality. He says, we taught people that they could trust their evil impulses, that they really weren't evil because they were theirs and they were genuine and all was good, but they really were evil. These are the words of Coulson. But they were really evil, he says now. This hit home again and again for Rogers in the 1970s, when rumors began to circulate about a group that had spun off from ours. And he talks about the groups that they had spun off and doing their own research, involving, of all people, Jesuits. He says, by then, we had become the center for studies of the person in La Jolla, having spun off from what he calls the WBSI. And at the same time, there spun off another group called the Center for Feeling Therapy in Hollywood. <clears throat> well, charges were brought against the guys at the Center for Feeling Therapy, one of three founders of what that, by the way, being a Jesuit, who had left the order, and among the things that the state of California was perceptive enough to charge them with was killing babies. Eleven times women who became pregnant while they were in the compound the Center for Feeling Therapy, were forced, to, forced, he says, to abort their babies. The state of California charged them with this crime. Mara asked, was this before Roe versus Wade? Remember, the legalization of abortion nationwide? No, Coulson said, this happened after Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade was in 1973, remember. But the state medical board held that it was unethical for those men to force the women to have abortions because those women wanted their babies. And uh, again, Colson says, this is one of the spin-offs of their own doings here. And a Jesuit, one of the three founders of this criminal enterprise. Colson continues, humanistic psychotherapy, the kind that has virtually taken over the church in America. I'm going to repeat his words here. Humanistic psychotherapy, the kind that has virtually taken over the church in America and dominates so many forms of aberrant education, like sex education and drug education, holds that the most important source of authority is within you, that you must listen to yourself well. Again, he's going right to the root of this. He's going to the root of this whole problem. People have to listen to him, listen to what he's saying. It goes back to the modernism 
unleashed on the church by Vatican II. Kosenibus goes on to say that he pulled his own children out of Catholic schools while all of this was going on, while they were corrupting the religious congregations teaching in other Catholic schools, and corrupting other Catholic schools, he and his wife, he attributes his wife's perceptiveness to this, pulled their own children out of those Catholic schools because he recognized what was going on. Now, my dear people, how can we continue to be in denial? How can we continue to deny that it is modernists who have done this? They are the sworn enemies of the Catholic Church, unveiled as the worst enemies the Church has ever faced by Pope St. Pius X himself in 1907, encyclical Pascendi. In that encyclical, Pope St. Pius X said that modernism is the, is the collection of all the heresies. It changes the very meaning of the word faith, for heaven's sake. And he says that modernists are characterized by pride and audacity. But you can't find anything more audacious than Francis's answer to those journalists. That is characteristic of audacity. And it is also audacious for a man like Francis to say, who am I to judge when God has already judged, when God has already made the judgment? Now it's a matter of what Francis is willing to judge. He can disregard God's judgment. He can even override God's judgment. He can overrule the judgment of the church with regard to capital punishment. Why? Because he's the Francis. And everything he says is magisterium. This is modernism. This is not Catholicism. And what has done this is not the Catholic Church. It is the enemy of the Catholic Church, the modernist church that has come out of Vatican II. We need to understand that so that we cannot blame the church or Christ for what has happened. We need rather to rescue the church from the clutches of these modernist maniacs. We need to rescue the church from the clutches of these people. And we need to insist that they do not legitimately represent the Catholic faith. They do not legitimately represent the Catholic Church. That their religion is a religion of modernism. It is the practice of modernism, which they and we now know as the Novus Ordo. We have to put an end to the charade that they've got going on, which has for the last 70 years, as it was found, produced these, these predators, these homosexual predators who are preying upon their own children, in their own seminaries, and in their own schools. My dear people, please, please see reality for what it is. Don't continue under the, into the modernist fog, wandering, stumbling through the modernist fog that they generate, the smoke of Satan. Realize that this is modernism that has done this. The enemy of Christ, the enemy of the church, the enemy of Catholics has done this evil deed. And it's going to continue doing this as long as they can get away with it. And they will get away with it as until somebody recognizes, until we recognize what the problem is. The problem, ultimately, is modernism that has invaded the church. That is the smoke of Satan. And now we have to blow it out. And we have to return to practice the traditional Catholic religion, the only real expression of the true Catholic faith. May God bless you all.